And a big old happy Wednesday to you, Limeland. Welcome inside the Basement Doctor Studio. If the air feels different to you today, it should. The tournament has started. NCAA Basketball Men's Championship underway last night at the University of Dayton. <laughs> oh, don't. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Uh, I, Westwood won? Is that who? Westwood won. Westwood was doing won. a game last night. And I don't remember who. I think Lance Meadow was the announcer's name when he kept saying, we're here in Dayton, Ohio. No, you're not. I don't know where that is. But I know how to get to UD Arena on the campus of the University of Dayton. We're in Dayton. <laughs> Dayton. Here we are in Dayton once again. Like, oh, I'm going to drive it on coming traffic. <laughs> but the tournament has started. Got home last night. Just got the shoes kicked off. Got the feet up on the bed. Got it tuned in about two possessions in to the Texas Southern and Texas A&M Corpus Christi game last night. And other than dozing off for a pinch during that game and for a pinch really late, in the IU-Wyoming game, I was a bit of a trooper. I was going to see it all and saw it all. Now, for whatever reason, then I chose, or it was, it, it worked out to the way that I paid for that because around 1.30 in the morning, I woke up and I had all kinds of st- stomach issues and it was a mess. It was bad, but I did get to see the game start. I can't really tell you how I feel about the first four, even after all the years that we've been doing it. I think it's in the perfect place. There's no place better than UD Arena. Dayton is awesome. The city is awesome, and although they announced it as a sellout right yeah. off the top when you could see all the blue seats empty, it right. filled in rather quickly after I, that. I saw Matt Tabler's Twitter picture. Did you? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a sellout. <laughs> let me tell you. No, they they were uh, they were literally touting it as a sellout, like in the opening moments of the game, and that there's a camera on you people, like we can see blue chairs, <laughs> a whole bunch of them. While you're talking about the sellout. It I don't know. It might have been a sellout. It wasn't an attended out. Right. It wasn't, an, and, and it got there. They like they definitely started arriving late, and 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 by the time you got to IU Wyoming, it was a rather raucous place. But um, I don't know. I'm just breathing easier. Started now. It also helps that we're seeing blue sky, legitimately yeah. blue sky yeah. from here to the horizon for the first time in a long time. And I'm I'm driving up here today to the station. I'm talking to my dad on the phone, who is in Southern Alabama, and. It's nicer here right now than it is down there, it's doing all right. which is makes it puts me in a better mood because it's you know one out of 150 conversations that I get to have where that's the case. I think we're headed for an even nicer day tomorrow, but this isn't a weather show. This is a sports show. So did you watch both games? I watched until about halftime of IU Wyoming, and the entire first half I sat on the couch going, <laughs> and finally my wife said, are we staying up to watch this whole thing here? And I said, no, no, we're not. Wyoming's not going to win. No, and they didn't. They did not win. They, uh, the Indiana Hoosiers came into the tournament, I think, on what most people would consider to be a high note, feeling pretty good about themselves, particularly Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, he was spectacular yes, he uh, was. In, in the Big Ten tournament. He was spectacular again last night, 29-9 and nine with one block. Um, they really get after you defensively. When Indiana is right, it starts at the defensive end, and they really create problems, and they, they've they've had some issues with turning the basketball over and they've seemed to have gotten that pretty well taken care of in the last seven, eight, nine games maybe and playing really well. I don't know what it means. I think there's it's very possible they're going to go on and beat St. Mary's, although I think St. Mary's will be the favorite. I think it's a great matchup. It's really going to be interesting because St. Mary's is a team that is incredibly comfortable playing games that struggle to get into the mid-50s and they are defensive-minded as well, although they won't be a team that too many in our area watch very frequently. The St. Mary's-Indiana game, for a, for a first-round game and what's going to be a, a 12-5 matchup, uh, if you're going to have a 12-5, that might be the one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it might. And if you're not up on the gales, if you're not down with the gales, they like they like Australian basketball players more than I like Skyline Chili. <laughs> and that, my friends, is saying something. That's a lot. Uh, from a uh, quick nugget from the first game last night. Did the person who designed Texas A&M Corpus Christi's uniforms have the ability of sight? I think it may have been impaired to some degree. It looks like they were on a trip. Who? Who? So they're called the Islanders. Yeah. Is, is Corpus Christi Corpus on Corpus Christi is on the coast. Okay. Um, it's it's like Texas's Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Like so, it's, so we were looking it up last night, yeah, my brother and I. A, go to, so like I'm looking at the map. I'm like, like kind of feels like coastal. Doesn't feel like an island. They call themselves the Islanders, and their uniforms were... I don't know, what would be the word that would describe those uniforms? Hideous? I'd say hideous is not, not unfair. <laughs> their, their colors are like a royal blue and a royal green. And that's pretty nice. On a black uniform with the, you know, the, the skyline of Corpus Christi, John, which we all... Which we all What's recognize. What's more recognizable than the skyline of Corpus Christi, Texas? What's more recognizable? Um, and the uh, the way it looks is that the Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the university, is on an island Okay. in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, then Islanders it is. Good for them. But Tough night for them. They didn't shoot it well at all in the first half. Managed to stay in the game. Shot it very well from three in the second half. Gave themselves a lead midway through the second half. Felt like things were kind of going in their direction. And then the size of Texas Southern. If you watch the game, Corpus Christi's starting five. I think their biggest starter was about 6'7". And Texas Southern starts two 6'9 guys up front with some real length. I, I think by the time I lost count, they had blocked nine shots. By the early to mid part of the second half, I'm going to guess they ended up blocking 11 or 12 in the contest, and it just was a little too much for Texas A&M Corpus Christi to overcome. And in, in in some ways, I'm glad that they got beat because if I would have had to watch another game where you have to say Texas A&M Corpus Christi just to get to the end of what you're talking about with that team, it's just that's a lot. That's a lot. And I I, I saw Avery Johnson last night struggling to figure oh, out what to call them he, and how to get there. He kept there. saying. A&M. Yeah. A&M. Well, you know, A&M. Like, no, 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 no. A&M's playing the NIT tonight, and Buzz Williams is going to make some news for <laughs> his response to some press conference questions. I didn't get to see it. I'm oh. hearing about it. I want to see it. He had nine pages of notes for why Texas A&M should have been in the NCAA tournament. And he took it to the press conference. And he gave it to the, gave it to the media members at the press conference. <laughs> nine pages of notes for why, damn it, this was a flawed system. We deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. This isn't fair. This isn't right. The lack of transparency is horrible, et cetera, et cetera. Memo bliss period delicatum. You stole fizzy lifting drink. <laughs> I, I'm a Buzz Williams fan. Always have oh. been. My, my my tie to Buzz Williams and my story is always that in 1993, <laughs> we we went to Alaska when I was a student assistant at ONU to play in the Tournament of Champions at Fairbanks. University of Alaska Fairbanks has the NAIA champ, the D2 champ, the NCAA Division Three champ, and Fairbanks as the host school. Well, it just so turned out that the NAIA champ that year, no, the D2 champ couldn't go. So two NAIA schools went. Oklahoma City College and Hawaii Pacific. Oklahoma City College was the was not the the reigning champion, I don't believe. I think they came because they had been there the year before. Hawaii Pacific was the reigning champion and they were coming, but Oklahoma City College said, "We'll come for sure, for sure." They right. had a guy well, named Win Case was their head coach and his son Jeremy is an assistant at the University of Kansas right now. But the story, the moral of this story and the crux of it is that the student assistant at Texas at excuse me, at, at Oklahoma City College was Buzz Williams. 
And I was the student assistant at Ohio Northern University, and we played on the opening game of the Tournament of Champions. We lost a very close game, I think by five, late in the game. They had two major D1 transfers. And it's just the parallel between my life and Buzz Williams since that night is just, it's, it's almost uncanny how similar our paths have been as I take yeah, my no. right hand to the right, my left hand to the left, and we split. So I've always, always been rooting for Buzz. So you're trying um, to tell me you don't make $3.8 million a year? Never been on a private jet. No, don't make three point eight million a year. Right, well. Don't uh, don't don't get to take nine pages of notes to press conferences because my team didn't make the NCAA tournament. But I'm going to talk to Jimmy Dykes today. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that we are. We're going to accomplish that. Oh yes, we are. So hey, also Kyrie had a night. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And you, at that point, do you just let him go? Like, no matter what the score is, like, hey, do you want to get seventy? You want to try it for eighty? I don't care. Here's the thing with, with Kyrie. In that circumstance, how many games is Kyrie going to play if we leave him off the floor so he remains healthy? Versus, what are we really costing ourselves if we just let him go for eighty and he, you know, rolls an ankle and he's? I mean, right, yeah. he's only got four road games left in the regular season anyway. <laughs> I, I take my shot. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I when I first saw the numbers, my son was the one texting me about what was going on, and my brother I think was texting me about what was going on. I'm like, you got to get him out of the game. He came out with eight minutes in the, left in the game and had sixty. Right. Which With is, eight minutes left in if, the game. If he scores 80 last night, that puts more pressure on the mayor in New York City to let him play, right? I don't know that anything puts more pressure on the mayor because I think the mayor is trying to make it clear that you can make all the statements you want. My my thought process doesn't include how, how our basketball teams are impacted. That's what everybody says. I mean, he has to say that whether he means right, it or not. I right. don't know. But he Until, has to say that. But I, I'm telling you, you got a dude dropping 80. Dropping an eighty a night, fans are going to start clamoring. Hey, isn't this kind of stupid? Isn't this this kind kind of pointless? Shouldn't shouldn't we be, should we be doing something else here? So the NIT started last night as well. Nobody cares about the NIT anymore, right? I do. I like basketball, so when the NIT's on, I try to check it out. The most interesting thing about the NIT last night was they had a whole boatload of games. VCU beat Princeton. Vanderbilt knocked off Belmont. Oklahoma beat Missouri State. North Texas got a win over Texas State. So Texas schools playing all over the place, yeah. and Texas A&M with their twelve point victory. Really, the, the focus of the conversation is more about why they weren't in the big dance. And normally, when you're that unhappy about not making the big dance, your team doesn't perform well in the tournament. I don't know what it takes to beat Alcorn State, but Texas A&M was able they, to do it last they night. They were not performing well in the first half, and somebody screenshotted the score and tweeted, "You know, those SEC schools, if they don't make the playoff, they just don't want to be there." that's fair that's fair Oregon got a win over Utah State Washington State took out Santa Clara Santa Clara scored a whopping 50 points ooh and St. Bonaventure with a win over Colorado I say all that to set up that there was one game that was more significant to me than others in the NIT and that game involved the Xavier Musketeers they beat Cleveland State last night 72 to 68 and as they prepare for their second round NIT game they'll do so without their head coach (laughs) Apparently, Xavier has agreed to a separation with Travis Steele. After an NIT win, we knew that he was on the hot seat a little bit. They lost, I think, eight out of their last ten coming down the stretch and didn't make the NCAA tournament when they were appeared to be a lock in December to be an NCAA tournament team. They've not made it at all in his four years at Xavier, even though they are 20 games over 500 during his stint. But Travis Steele is now out of a job, and his team will go on into the second round of the NIT without their head coach. As is tradition. Yeah. <laughs> As tradition. <laughs> you know, that's how they do it in the NIT. You so, win the first round, yeah. get run. How important is the NIT? We don't need our coach to stick around. Thank you. Yeah. 
as we try to win a quote-unquote championship. I don't know how you put air quotes around a championship, but it's the NIT. we got to take it done. Jenkins, do more time out. When we come back, we'll get to Twitter poll questions. we got a whole lot of conversation today, including Baker Mayfield's latest statement to the public and what it means for the Browns and how we're supposed to perceive all this, plus a scheduled visit with Jimmy Dykes of ESPN. Looking forward to that. Hope you'll stick around. For that and so much more after this non Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio 93 1 The Fan. Back inside the basement doctor studio where Cookie and the Monster is presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply online at work at mcd.com and you can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. We got Twitter poll questions today. Do got a couple of them up at 931 The Fan on Twitter. We are asking Will Baker Mayfield be the starting quarterback of the Browns in 2022? No. 78% say no. That's kind of become our ceiling, 78. We, we do our best to push it over 80 once in a while. We sway things that direction, but it's kind of become our ceiling, yeah. 78. Which I think is fair because I'm, I'm convinced that every person who has a strong opinion on something firmly believes that 80% of people think the same way I do, libtards. And they're like, okay, calm down, <laughs> calm down. But 79% almost think, no, Baker Mayfield, is it's over. Um, according to uh, Chris Mortensen of ESPN, that the Browns want, quote, an adult at quarterback. Well, it's a good thing he hasn't done anything to kind of, you know, solidify the, the opinion maybe that they don't have an adult oh, wait. At quarterback. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, also, man, we are dead set here. Um, <laughs> what seed do you have winning the national championship in your, in, in your bracket? 76% say they have a one or a two winning their, winning their national championship. Yeah. Safe bet. Yep, I agree. Our final poll question is whose bracket are you more likely to copy? John's or mine? Seventy eight percent say John's. Seventy oh people. People. No, no, no. It was it was ninety ten there for a while and I was like, Yeah, uh, I I'm hell I voted for you. Um <laughs> Uh, Jonas on Twitter says, Cookie is too analytical when it comes to college basketball. Garrett is likely looking for chaos in which team has the better mascot and will probably end up with a better bracket, like my wife, who doesn't watch college basketball. That's how this month works. I think that's an insult, Jonas, but you pegged me right. It, it might not be an insult as much as it is we're in this brotherhood kind of thing. Here's my take. Like, okay. Do I have Vermont playing New Mexico State in the second round? Absolutely, I do. And that could happen. Because I think there's every once every couple of years or every other year, you get a 13 that plays a 12 in the second round. And then one of them inevitably is in the Sweet 16. And that one seed has a f easy <laughs> road to the Elite Eight because they're playing uh, Vermont. An overachieving 12 seed. Right. Now, and here, I'm just going to tell you flat out, I think I'm on about seven or eight years in a row, depending on how this year goes, where I fill out a bracket and I legitimately make an effort. And we know I'm not a good prognosticator. I don't pick things well, or I've not since I started doing this show, certainly. And it probably goes back before that, because when I was an analyst just coming on Vince's show once in a while, I was really bad then, and he used to make fun of me for it. But every year for the last seven or eight years, I will invariably be somewhere around 13 and 3 very seldom I get to fourteen and two, but fourteen and two, thirteen and three—that's me on day one. Mm -hmm. That's me on day one. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing We're okay, doing all right. And on day two, I will be ten and six, or nine and seven. All—it's it's all without fail. Day two, and so I don't know how that is, how why it would fall out that you would think just the luck of the draw would mean it would work the other way. Nope. That some year I would have a really bad opening day and a good second day hasn't happened. And I'm not kidding you, seven or eight years. So we'll see how this goes because now we're going to get 
day one under our belts before I go to the state tournament. Usually I'm at the state tournament really not paying attention to my bracket, watching high school basketball and realizing, yep, I lost another one. Yep, I lost <laughs> another one. Yep. So if I have a good day on Thursday, if I am 14-2 and two or you know, really doing well, I'm going to go down to the tournament in Dayton and just assume by the time I get off the air with Audible Glandorf and hopefully what is a state semifinal win for them, my bracket will be going to poop. <laughs> like That's just kind of the way it works. So I don't think anybody should copy my bracket. Um, I, I am more of a chalky guy in this bracket than I have been in a lot of my others because I think it's really hard to predict upsets. My problem is I pick upsets later in the bracket sometimes, which is a real problem. Right, because if you're in one seed and you get to the Sweet 16, you, you probably get into the Elite Eight. And, and probably getting to the Final right. Four. Yes, yeah. in all seriousness. If you don't but, lose to somebody when you don't have your head on straight yet, it's probably going to go well for you. So we'll talk more about our brackets a little later in the show. I had a long run there where I would pick somebody to win the national championship, and they would lose in the first round and then win the title the next year. <laughs> That's got to be fun. Virginia. Yes. Lose, lose to UMBC. That's what the last, that was. last time I filled out a bracket before this year. The, there was the year <laughs> that I chose Duke to win the national championship, and they lost to Mercer in the first round and then won the title the next year. So first bracket I've filled out since 2018. So you're telling me, who's your, who's your champion? Kentucky. I need to pick them for next yes. year. Yes. I need to pick Kentucky to win Get next year. Get set for Cal to add to have a banner ripped down in about 2026 <laughs> after winning the 2023 title. <laughs> is exactly what uh, I'm telling you. Other poll questions? Uh, just those three. Just those three today. 545. You can vote at 931thefan on Twitter until 545. We will... Reset the Twitter poll questions, give you an update at the top of hour number two, and obviously have our results just before the end of the program. I don't want to get into our brackets too much, so we're going to go ahead and take a Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout because we do want to squeeze in some Browns conversation. And your friend and my friend Baker Mayfield, after a self-imposed hiatus from social media, decided to make his return rather spectacularly yesterday evening. And we're going to chat about that after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. Cookie and the Monster on the fan. Back here inside the Basement Doctor Studio, Cookie and the Monster with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. I'm John Cook. My partner is Garrett C. Right, we are Cookie and the Monster. We appreciate you joining us, however you are choosing to do so today, whether we're on your radio at 93.1thefan.com or on the free 93.1 The Fan app. We appreciate you for making time for us. Uh, the NFL continues to dominate the news cycle, nearly every news cycle, it seems to me. And if you are particularly living in this area or a Browns fan or have any general interest in the Browns, it seemed to be, I won't say surprising, but noteworthy news that the Browns were going to be making a serious pitch for Deshaun Watson. And when the meeting was scheduled to take place, it just seemed to be something that was rather surprising. We had a a poll question about it yesterday. We spent a lot of time talking about it. But what we didn't have until last night was any kind of a response slash reaction from Baker Mayfield, and Baker, I don't know how many weeks ago, put on his self-imposed hiatus from social media because it was just too toxic and he needed to stay away from it. But then he decided, I guess, yesterday to talk very openly and publicly to the city of Cleveland. Garrett, I'm, I'm trying to decide, and you and I are, I guess, going to discuss this. I could care less what Baker had to say. I'll read the statement. We've read it. We've seen it. I'm trying to decide if the Browns have mishandled this entire situation and it's created this mess that we've got, or if the Browns' handling of a situation is a direct result of the guy they're dealing with in Baker Mayfield. And they really, 
maybe not necessarily have done anything wrong. It's just what you do as as you do business leading a franchise, and Baker Mayfield just continues to find ways, in my estimation, to put himself on the wrong side of most of it. Well, and I, I've, I've long held the belief that Baker Mayfield is not cocky or arrogant, that he's insecure. And this is kind of exhibit A of that, isn't it? That Tua Tungavailoa spent all season as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins with rumors that they were going to trade for Deshaun Watson. He never put out a statement saying, I love you, Miami. Thank you for everything. I don't know that the Browns mishandled this. I think they did their due diligence, and Baker Mayfield is somewhat collateral damage, knowing that they had to do this while having a somewhat volatile volatile personality at quarterback. It's just one of those things that you gotta you got to do what's right for your franchise, right? And I don't think they've done anything malicious or with the intent of doing anything other than doing the the best job that they can. But that's a goodbye message from Baker Mayfield, right? That is 100%. He he says in there, you know, there's no ulterior motive or you know, there's no hidden message in this. I'm just I'm just grateful. That's a that's a that's a goodbye message. Right? Well, it clearly is. I mean, you don't have to read very far. I have no clue what happens next, which is the meaning behind the silence I have had during the duration of this process. Next paragraph. I have given this franchise everything I have. That is something I've always done at every stage and at every level, and that will not change wherever I take my next snap. That's a goodbye. But it, in it, this instance, you, you don't get to do that until they've told you it's time to say goodbye. Is it almost a, hey, that's a goodbye, but I'm going to try to make it look like it was my choice to say goodbye rather than I got dumped because I wasn't good enough? Well, maybe it is, but here's my thing. There's only one way that this works out for Baker Mayfield that is deemed as acceptable. And that is, well, there are two possible outcomes. There's only one way he can handle it. Show up and go to work and be their quarterback when the season starts because you knew you were going to be. Or go somewhere else and prove that them making the decision to move off you is wrong. Those are your two options. They have to tell you which one you're choosing. I I think what he's doing right now is, is making a statement like that, is literally saying to them, whatever happens, you cannot bring me back here. Yeah, and that was going to be my next, you know, hey, is it goodbye because he feels like he's going to be a member of the Houston Texans sometime this week or if the Browns don't get to Sean Watson he's going to say if you guys don't believe in me send me somewhere that does I now, think that's what it is and I think that's just again easy from where I sit to make judgment but if, if that's the statement you want to make make that statement when it's clear that that's the statement to be made right now no one knows anything right no one knows anything and you're tipping the scales in trying to tip the scales and I don't know which direction. I, or does he think he's gaining leverage by doing this? I, I would think so. I, I would almost believe that he... And don't get me wrong, I think he might be right in that there is a large chunk of the Browns fan base who will ride or die with Baker Mayfield, who will believe that if they don't give him a contract extension that they are doing a disservice to their franchise because for 30 years they didn't want a playoff game and then this guy does. It's I, 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 We've been leading up to this point for a very long time and I hate to toot my own horn, but for a very long time I've said, hey, we're going to get to this point. We're going to get to where the Browns say, you're just not good enough. And that's a bad spot to be in because you're going to take a chance on somebody else with the po- com- complete possibility that you go back to being a complete and utter, utter dumpster fire. 
But has Baker Mayfield played good enough to get a contract extension that rivals Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? No. No. Has he played poorly enough to get just dropped like he was Mitch Trubisky or Jameis Winston? No. The Browns are in quarterback purgatory and remain there until Deshaun Watson, who reportedly could make his decision today on what team he wants to go to, says, I want to be in Cleveland. And if he does say he wants to be in Cleveland, that's best-case scenario for the Browns. If he says, I want to go to Atlanta, I want to go to New Orleans, what do you do then? You got to go work out a, a, a deal with Indianapolis or Seattle or the Raiders? Where do you turn from there if Deshaun Watson doesn't say, yeah, I want in? My guess is they've got a, a plan B and a plan C. I don't know, if, you know, what the, David Carr, Derek Carr, excuse me. I don't, I don't know what else might be out there that you you could pursue. But so is is coming back with Baker Mayfield plan D? I I, I would <laughs> ass, I would assume now that 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 you have to that that coming back with Baker Mayfield is not a part of the plan. But that's largely because Baker Mayfield did this. Right. I think had Baker Mayfield not done this, you you would not be removing that as a possibility. And that's the part, I guess, that I, I'm struggling with. Because from an NFL standpoint, and by NFL standards, there's nothing admirable about the position in which Baker Mayfield finds himself. Correct. By the standard you know, definition and measurement that Americans use for difficult circumstances, you're going to be making seven figures somewhere next year, probably eight figures somewhere next year. And so don't cry me a river. But Baker Mayfield's very own statement that he followed up the, the, the comment about the meaning behind the silence I've had during the duration of this process. I can control only what I can, which is trusting in God's plan throughout this process. If you're worried about controlling only what you can, then making that statement is you trying to control something you can't control. That's you trying to control something you don't have control over. It, while it might not be an admirable spot to be in, at least have enough self-awareness to say, at the time that he stopped playing football, Deshaun Watson was clearly a top 10 NFL quarterback, possibly a top 5 NFL quarterback. Yeah. I wasn't, so my franchise is going to kick the tires on that. And I I have to be preparing myself for the possibility of moving on because they were able to acquire a guy that, quite simply put, is better than me. If they aren't able to acquire a guy that's better than me, then I need to be prepared to prove to everybody in this franchise and across the league that I am the guy to lead this franchise. And that's keep your mouth shut, stay stay nose to the grindstone, and be prepared to get healthy and go to work. Because here's what I know, and Baker Mayfield doesn't seem to either be aware of this or willing to acknowledge it. It's the NFL. He's a starting quarterback. He's proven that he is. So when or if the Browns have decided that they've moved on from Mayfield, whether it's with Deshaun Watson or without, there are going to be a lot of teams that are vying for Baker Mayfield to become their starting quarterback. He won't have to worry about that. And yet, I think he's going to be consumed with the fact that somebody didn't want him. Because that's what his history shows. His seasons at Oklahoma were essentially giant middle fingers to Texas Tech and Cliff Kingsbury. And Without he, any disguise whatsoever. Right, and, and he didn't even thinly veil it. And... I, I I think that consumed him to a point that's probably really not healthy. But does he have that capability and that maturity to get over not being wanted by the Browns? Because I don't I don't know, I don't know that he does. Obviously, maturity is an issue. 
Well, yeah, you just touched on the one thing that I think everybody would say is, is the clearly defined biggest concern with Baker Mayfield is his maturity. And the problem that I have with that, and I, I don't disagree with that assessment of Baker Mayfield, it's that Baker Mayfield has, I think at times, seemingly committed himself to changing that that perception of yeah. him, changing that reputation. And merely the fact that you commit yourself to that and you can't maintain it is actually proof positive that, yep, you're not very damn mature. <laughs> no, right, no, and I hate to do the, like, Colin Cow... Tom Brady found out, that, and he never said it was the San Francisco 49ers, but it was the San Francisco 49ers, right. that they didn't want him, that they were going to ride with Jimmy G. He didn't open his notes app on his phone and start writing stuff down and tweet it out. He turned it into motivation, and then after he won another Super Bowl, said, you want that mother bleeper over me? <laughs> He let it fuel him instead of making it seem like he let it fuel him. He opened a notes app, start jotting away, and then press send. Don't hit send. <laughs> Baker Mayfield doesn't. It just it, it that is exhibit A, and I. It's something that I, I think people don't disagree with when Chris Mortensen says the Browns now feel like they want an adult at the quarterback so, position. Last question, and it actually was the question that we started this whole segment with is. Depending on how it plays out over the next 24 to 48, maybe 12 hours, I don't know, depending on how this plays out, is there a way that when this is all said and done, somebody actually perceives this as though the Browns blew it? Yeah, I think so. If Deshaun Watson decides he wants to go to New Orleans or Atlanta, and then you see that the trade market for Baker Mayfield is incredibly lukewarm at best, yeah, I think there is a piece of... Brown's kingdom. Oh, there's a piece of the dog pound that says Andrew Barry's got to go. Kevin Stefanski's got to go. They I just, screwed up our franchise quarterback. Man, I, I I don't know. I I just think if you want to if you want to demonstrate that you're the mature guy, you're the right guy to lead. Yes, you take all this this poop sandwich that they've handed you. You eat it politely with a knife and a fork. And when it's all done, and you need to be the guy, you go be the guy because there's right. uh, there's only a win right. in that for you, right. and 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 you can you you can lift the franchise. And maybe he's not that guy. I I don't know. I just I. But the only way to benefit from this situation is to do exactly that. Right. That's it. That's is the to only shut win. up and go play. Is to handle it with grace and class and a complete understanding that this is a business and they had to do what's best for them. That's the only way to handle it. That w- that leads to success for you. Well, with no show tomorrow, um, I, I'm a little disappointed in that because I think there's a chance that by the time we were to take the air tomorrow, it might have been resolved and we might have more to talk about. Yeah. But regardless of when the Deshaun Watson thing gets resolved, the Baker Mayfield final resolution is going to be, I think, weeks, perhaps months uh, in the future. And it's either going to be a story that can finally be put to bed and allow Browns fans to focus moving forward, or it's going to be something that causes Browns fans to say, we were this close. Yeah, to having turned the corner mm-hmm. and we found a way to not get the corner turned and be the Browns again. So makes me glad I'm not a Browns fan. <laughs> Those of you that are, just hang in there. Maybe it'll go your way. We'll see. Don Jenkins, do our timeout straight ahead. When we come back, we got to dive into our brackets because it's a Twitter poll question. It's out there. Minor Garrett's, whose who's would you copy? We haven't even revealed them yet. We did one region yesterday. We'll do three regions really quickly at the uh, opening of the next segment just to give you an idea of who our final fours are, who we've got to win in the national championship. I still haven't picked a national championship winner, by the way. Do that live ooh, right here. Ooh. <laughs> Cookie and the Monster. After this, Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. 93 on the fan. Final segment of hour number one here on Cookie and the Monster. Thank you for joining us. Garrett, let's just dive right back into our brackets. Yesterday, we touched very briefly on the West region 
Uh, to to kind of keep a long story somewhat short, I just have decided that Gonzaga is going to make it out of the West region, although I have concern about them possibly playing UConn on a Sweet 16 game, and Texas Tech would scare me in the Elite Eight. All those things are true. Duke would scare me. I just have Texas Tech pulling off that upset. I think Duke is a very viable Final Four team if they were a little bit better uh, defensively and they had a little clearer idea of what they're trying to get done on offense. But they're Duke, so they're scary. I'm still saying Gonzaga in the West. I got Duke for really no apparent reason other than that's what's on their chest <laughs> when they take the floor. And Pro- there's a there's a 75-year-old dude who's not going to do this next next March. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much the reasoning. I don't think you'll be the only person using that kind of logic. So let's talk South Region. All right. Arizona, the one seed. The two seed is Villanova. Your third and fourth seeds are... Tennessee. Tennessee Tennessee and and Illinois. Illinois are three and four. So what's your take on the South Region? So I've got my sweet 16 in this region is Arizona, Illinois, and Tennessee, Villanova. Going chalk. One, Mine two, too. I'm chalk all the way to One, there. two, three, four. I, I almost wonder if Tennessee could lose to Michigan in the second round. Or Tennessee could lose to Colorado State in the second round because all we've heard all week is that they should have been higher seeded. That you could make a case that could be a one, damn it. Right. Well, do you lose focus at that point? And it's possible. And get beat in a tournament where you prove everybody wrong or prove everybody right that you shouldn't have been a one or two seed? Hey, just out of curiosity, I think I know this, but did you have Ohio State playing Villanova, or do you have Loyola Chicago? I have Loyola Chicago. I picked Ohio State. Did you really? I did. Is that the opposite, that everybody thinks Ohio State's going to get dump trucked, so you're like, ah, screw it, I'll pick Ohio State? It's it's equal parts that, and the other part of it is just me saying, I, by God, I'm going to will you to be better than people think you are, and you're going to prove me right. <laughs> I would love for Ohio State to lose to Villanova in the second round. I just, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like the way they played the last month of the season outside of against Illinois. And I don't know what happened at Illinois, but they had an 18-point lead with six minutes to go against Illinois, and they have not been anywhere close to that level since. But they're still, and this is the part that I think is going to drive everybody nuts, we know that their problem has been defensively. They are still, I think, the second-best offense in the Big Ten. And that is disgusting to hear out loud <laughs> they are a spectacular when they're right they are a good very 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 good offensive team and their defensive troubles may not be fixable i don't know but i don't believe that a loyola chicago team that they're going to play is going to that's not an offensive powerhouse loyola chicago is yeah. good and if loyola chicago beats ohio state i won't be surprised I'm just going to expect and believe that Ohio State's offensive prowess is going to be enough to get them that win, and we'll see. But I do have Arizona, Illinois, Tennessee, and Villanova all all chalk one through four in the round of 16. So from there, where does it go for you? I got Illinois and Villanova in the Elite Eight. I think Illinois is a really complete team, which is famous last words. Yes. I just think, and do I believe that they're better than they were last year? Hell no. But I think they're really, really, really complete offense, defense. They've got a rim protector, Kofi Coburn, when he wants to be super into it and a dominant force can be. So I have Illinois beating Villanova and going to the Final Four. How about you? And I don't feel great about it. No, and I stared at Arizona-Illinois for a very long time before I chose Arizona 
Arizona has had some down moments in the last third of the season that make you kind of scratch your head and wonder how that can be possible when you've seen them be as good as they can be. But I'd say the same thing somewhat about Illinois. I think Kofi yeah. Coburn is the one man-mountain freak of nature that, that exists in the tournament. Arizona's got enough big bodies to maybe rival that and bother him. Arizona's style of play is, is I think, a little further removed from what is typical in the Big Ten. I think will present some problems for Illinois defensively. Although I will say this, Brad Underwood has coached Illinois in a way that isn't really in line with what kind of how he built his career. They're not a high pressure team, but they're capable of that when they when they choose to. Their defense is the wild card for me. I'm going to pick Arizona, and then I talked about staring for, at that for a while. Arizona Villanova, I got no idea. I think Arizona is the better team, but there's something about Villanova if they get to that spot that I feel like I would 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 not want to play them. I went ahead and selected Arizona just because back in November I said Arizona and Gonzaga would play for the national title, and I want to stick to that. You got to stick to your guns. But so our it, South region. If Villanova can, it, it sounds simple, but if they can hit shots, they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough out. They shoot it in. They're tough. They're tough to beat. No question. Their toughness and their togetherness is really something to behold. But you've got Illinois in the Final Four from the South region. Yes, sir. I've got Arizona. You've got Duke from the West region. I got Gonzaga. We will revisit the Midwest and the East regions after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan. Mm-hmm. And hour number two straight ahead here on Cookie and the Monster. John Cook and Garrett Searett with you on Lima Sports Radio 93.1. The fan, thank you for joining us. However you are choosing to do so, whether we're on your radio, 93.1thefan.com or on the free 93.1 The Fan app. We appreciate you making time for us. Hour number two, which means two things. One is quick reset on the Twitter poll questions. we got three questions up. At 93 on the fan on Twitter, you can vote until 545. Will Baker Mayfield be the starting QB of the Browns in 2022? 78.5% saying no. What seed do you have winning the national championship? 74% say a one or a two. And whose bracket are you more likely to copy, John or me? 82% say John. I don't know about that. I, I appreciate I, the support. I, I do know about that. <laughs> and I would I would choose your bracket as well. Well, we're going to revisit our brackets. We have already. If you missed the, the last segment, we just to recap, I have decided that in the West region, Gonzaga, the one seed, will be the representative in the Final Four. I have them knocking off Texas Tech to get to the Final Four because I had Texas Tech upsetting Duke. That is a little bit of a an out-there selection for me. It's a little bit on the edge, but I, I'm just looking at the totality of the body of work. I think Duke is more recognizable, probably has more raw talent. Texas Tech is a team. They are defensive-minded. They are incredibly tough, and they have been remarkably well-tested all year long. So I've got Gonzaga taking on Texas Tech in the Elite Eight with Gonzaga getting to the Final Four. Garrett has... I got Duke beating Gonzaga in the Elite Eight of the West region. So there's first disagreement. He's got Duke, I got Gonzaga. In the South, I have Arizona knocking off Villanova. Not a pick I necessarily feel great about at this point in things. I'm still not sure Arizona is totally healthy. That would be the thing that really concerns me if Arizona isn't totally healthy, that that would be a problem for them and could be a problem for them even against an Illinois team in the Sweet 16. But I've got Arizona over Villanova in the South, so Arizona on to the Final Four. I got Illinois over Villanova in the South region final. All right, so let's move to the East region. The East region is the one that I believe is, I don't know, maybe the toughest region. Uh, I think it's the one least likely that you'll see the one seed advance uh, in, into the Final Four. I felt that when I watched the selection show on Sunday, and I still do. And part of that is because Baylor isn't Baylor necessarily. Uh, without Jonathan Chamuachachua and some of the other pieces that they have being healthy, I, they are a great team. When they are when they're 
whole, I think I heard this, when they're whole, they're 17-0. They just haven't been whole. And that's good, right? For a, that's really good. And Baylor is a now a championship-winning program. I think what they did at the start of this year, off the of last year's somewhat surprising national championship run, uh, was remarkable because they graduated a ton of guys, and you're not supposed to be able to do that at a place like Baylor, reload rather than rebuild. And there they were, midway through the season, looking like maybe the best team in the country before the injury bug started to bite them. I actually have Baylor getting upset by North Carolina, who I realize could actually lose to Marquette in the first round. But I have North Carolina upsetting Baylor, and therefore Baylor not even making it to the Sweet 16. In the East, I have UCLA advancing past a St. Mary's team that I think is going to knock off Indiana who got the win last night. So I have UCLA getting by St. Mary's. And in the bottom of the bracket, I have, again, not a ton of confidence. I have Virginia Tech knocking off Texas in an 11-6 matchup. I feel pretty good about that one. I have Purdue knocking off Virginia Tech. And in the very bottom of the bracket, Kentucky taking on Murray State in the second round of Kentucky. And Purdue going head-to-head. I've got Kentucky falling to Purdue. And that's the first pick I've made in the bracket that makes me say I could be completely out of my mind. Because Kentucky, when they're right, might be the best team in America. Purdue is not very good defensively, but spectacular offensively. They play a unique style with two bigs at times that is really not very common today. Sometimes it causes problems for their opponents. Sometimes it causes problems for them when those bigs got to go out and chase people. But I've got Purdue and UCLA squaring off in the Elite Eight, and I'm going to put UCLA through to the Final Four out of this out of the East region. I have UCLA beating Baylor in the Sweet 16. So I'm glad when you start talking about Baylor, maybe not being as good <laughs> or maybe as certain as making the Final Four. I thought, oh, okay. So I've almost got a shot here. Because uh, I've got UCLA beating Baylor, and I've got Kentucky beating Purdue in the Sweet 16. And I've got Kentucky beating UCLA in the Elite Eight, getting to the Final Four. So you got Kentucky in I've the Final Kentucky. Four taking on Duke. Yes. There's a lot of blue buds that would love to see that happen. There, there are, my bracket, I didn't try it this way, it just worked out that we got we got blue bloods galore in this bad boy. Well, but, and I think that's, I, I said, I think this year that may be the year that we see that happen. So you've got Duke and Kentucky. I've got Gonzaga, UCLA. And now that I think about that, it's like after UCLA made their very surprising run from the first four to the final four last year, the likelihood of that being repeated shouldn't have been very likely. But right. I don't know. I like UCLA. I think they're I mean, getting, they started the season as like a top yeah, five. Right. Hey, these guys are going to be great. And they didn't necessarily live up to that, correct? Right. And, and and as where some teams are getting less than healthy late in the year, UCLA had their struggles early there getting healthy. Jaime Jaquez is playing extremely well. They've got, and I think Johnny Juzang is as good of an offensive player as there is in the tournament. Um, Mick Cronin is a guy whose teams are going to guard. They're going to be tough-minded. They're going to be physically tough. Um, I, I like UCLA right now. I saw them against Arizona in the Pac-12 final. Really looked like for, for a large percentage of that game that they were going to win before Arizona kind of put the pedal to the floor and, and pulled away from them late. I really like UCLA. I, I, don't, I don't feel terrible about the pick, but it's, that is a very, very difficult region, and getting out of there ahead of Kentucky is going to be remarkably difficult. I, you've got Kentucky. I've got UCLA. Uh, so that's our, our one side of the bracket matchup. I've got Gonzaga, UCLA. Garrett has got Duke and Kentucky in the Final Four. So the last region is the Midwest. The Midwest region uh, is the region where I feel like there's more of a flip a coin feel to that region than maybe any of the other three regions. Kansas is your one seed. Your two seed is Auburn. Five weeks ago, I would have said Auburn is the best team in America or, yeah. or second best team in America and felt very confident that I had that right. 
And your four seed is Providence, right? Who's your three seed? Three seeds Wisconsin. Three seeds Wisconsin. Yep. Wisconsin, so, Providence are the okay. three four. So, did you go chalk in that region? I, I did. I did not. And once I wrote it down, I thought, do I really believe Iowa will be Providence? No. But I was doing it in pen, so by God, Iowa's in the Sweet 16 for me. Okay. Because... And I don't think that's a bad pick when you look where Iowa is right now and where they have been over the last three weeks. It fe- it always feels to me as if I want to choose teams who came in riding hot to lose early. Because either you're going to lose in the first round and everybody's like, oh, I got the wool pull over my eyes that Iowa was any decent. Or they're going to stay hot all the way to the Final Four. Like it's, it feels to me that there is neither a, hey, you know what, they lost a respectable game in the Sweet 16 to a team they should have lost to. It's either they lose in the first round and everybody goes, what the hell is that? I picked them to win the national championship. Or they win the national championship. So I was stupid and I put Iowa losing in the Sweet 16 to Kansas. Well, losing to Kansas maybe isn't necessarily a dumb thing. I, Iowa is a team that is a very popular pick right now they finished the year on such a high when they are right offensively like they were in the Big Ten tournament it feels like nobody can score to keep up with them the one thing that Iowa is more this year than they have been under Fran McCaffrey at any other time during his stint there is they're pretty good defensively too and it's not just that they sit down and guard you they mix up their defenses they play some zone they play some man they do some things multiply and they do them pretty well they're not a great defensive team by any stretch of the imagination but they're not a poor defensive team. They're, they're actually pretty good defensively, and because they're so good offensively, and I, I do think this is true, everybody that advances in the tournament is going to guard pretty well. Yeah. If you've got a special ability to get buckets and to score consistently as a team, you have a tremendous opportunity in the tournament because everybody plays a little tighter, the games are a little closer, and I think Iowa's offense gives them that possibility. I had them falling to Providence because I like Providence's toughness. I think Providence is incredibly physical, and and I I just I, I like where Providence is. And they're not twenty five and five by an accident. I mean, <laughs> the Big East is really good, and they came through that Big East as, in my estimation, as the best or second best team in the Big East. And they are the opposite of Iowa in that they're always good defensively and sometimes struggle offensively. They're a little better offensively than they have been in past years. So I've got Providence getting there. My Sweet 16 is 1, 2, 3, and 4. I've got chalk in that bracket just like I had in the South. Kansas taking on Providence. Wisconsin taking on Auburn. And I've got Wisconsin knocking off Auburn. That's the second of my picks. That's a Big Ten pick that makes me nervous. Purdue makes me nervous, and Wisconsin makes me nervous. But I have Wisconsin knocking off Auburn and Providence knocking off Kansas. That's the only real big upset I picked beyond the Sweet 16 is Providence knocking off Kansas. I stared at Auburn-Wisconsin for, it was the longest game that I stared at. And I sat there holding my pen in my hand going, eh, eh. I put Auburn down to go to the Elite Eight to play Kansas. I don't feel great about it. And I, I said when the bracket came out, that's the matchup I want to see because the last time they played in the NCAA tournament, Auburn boat raced Kansas. And that's two different teams, but it's the same coaches and the same programs, and I'd like to see Kansas get their opportunity. I just don't have it playing out that way on my bracket. I actually have Providence and Wisconsin playing. I've got the Badgers through to the Final Four. I got Kansas to the Final Four. I thought about, I, I, basically I thought, hey, if you pick Wisconsin to beat Auburn, I, I think you got to take them to the Final Four. Don't and disagree I, do, with you there. Do I think that there's going to be two Big Ten teams in the Final Four? No, I don't. Garrett's Final Four then again. Duke, Kentucky, Illinois, Kansas. Duke, Kentucky, Illinois, Kansas. My final four, Gonzaga, UCLA, 
Arizona, and Wisconsin. And before the end of the show, we'll throw out our title game competitors and pick a national champion for you. But we've got to take another Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout so we can come back and do football at 515. Join us after this. 93 on the fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor Studio, Cooking the Monsters, presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply online at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Thanks for joining us. It is now time for Football 515. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to Football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why it's Service Master. They don't cut corners. They clean them. So, John, pretty much everybody agrees that NFL overtime rules stink. I think. At least in the in the regular season, postseason. Nobody nobody really enjoys. I'm not a big fan. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know who is, but I'm not. Well, the NFL today released the proposals that teams put out to change overtime rules. And I want your thoughts on this. Both the Colts and Eagles put out a rule change that just simply says, allow both teams an opportunity to possess the ball in overtime. That is proposal number one. Allow both teams to have the football. The Tennessee Titans have a different proposal. Theirs is, allow both teams an opportunity to possess the ball in overtime unless... The team with the first possession scores a touchdown and a successful two-point try. Seems gimmicky, but okay. I, I agree, but I know which one of those sounds more fun to watch. Right. If you've got the cojones to go for two, try to win the game, In for all intents and purposes, the game comes down to that play. It sounds like a lot of fun to me. Because if you don't get it, the other team gets the ball, they kick you, score a touchdown, kick an extra point, you lose. Right, right. I think that I like that. I like that 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 element that it adds. I, I wonder how many, and again, the analytics are going to come into play in a monster way. How many teams are going to say, "Well, let's just kick the extra point. It's it's more of a certainty. We'll make the extra point, and then we'll just trust our defense, and we'll force them to have to choose." Right. But then the other team says, "Now nah, we're going for two. And you still lose, and it's almost due to no fault of your own. The, the only fault is you didn't try the two-point conversion. And that, that's the Titans' That's proposal? the Titans' proposal. Okay. okay. If I had to choose one or the other, I kind of like Titans. I kind of like the Titans' proposal. I, I would say I like the Titans' proposal more than just a flat, hey, as long as everybody gets the ball once, I'm fine with the outcome. I just don't – what's wrong with college football, college overtime? Just like a baseball inning? What? What? What's – What's the problem with that? Maybe well, start from the 35 I, I, rather than the 25? I, I, I or just you, think too many people look at the college overtime and say that you, that you really don't play the totality of football. And, and I, I'm, I'm not neither here nor there on that. I don't really have strong feelings. I think the college overtime, before they did what they did to it this year, was pretty entertaining. Um, I, I've just always been a guy that's a proponent of saying, you know, in, in basketball, when you go to overtime, they just modify the time on the clock. Right, and they you just go cut play. the time and you play. So why would it not be okay to have a football overtime that's eight minutes long? Why, uh, would, that, why would that not be okay? 
I I believe in 2022 you can't have ties. You, you just can't have ties. Somebody there's got to be a winner and a loser. If you do an eight minute at the end of eight minutes, it's a tie. I think it's pretty likely that you get more ties rather than less ties. And I think the reason that ties still exist is so Fox and CBS can get to the 425 game. I got genuinely, I believe that they don't want extended overtime periods because, damn it, the Colts and the Eagles are over and it's time to get to the Patriots and Titans. Probably that's fair. I'm just of the opinion and have been now for probably going on four to five years that overtime in football, you're never going to have a situation where the there is a true consensus of this is the way to handle it. You're just not going to have that. I think there is a consensus, or at least a growing consensus, growing in that direction of there's there's no reason to allow for a tie. And if that's yeah. if that's if that's going to be the foundational piece of whatever you create, then I need to I need to be told that I need to be informed of that. We want to create a system that absolutely eliminates ties as a possibility. I can get on board with that. I certainly can. But this argument that we continually have over the, the, the structure of an overtime and whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, football's pretty good if you just play football. If, if you don't want ties and that's the driving force, then, then sign me up. But then the college game seems to me to be the way to go. Well, I, I, maybe you modify college. Hey, we put the ball to the 25-yard line and you've got four plays to score rather than you know it's first and 10 from the 25. We'll put the ball to the 25-yard line and you have four plays to score. However you use those four plays, whatever. I don't care. Or, like we talked about in the early in the playoffs, give me an Elam ending, plus 11 on the scoreboard. Whoever's plus 11 after what you you got to score 11 points, first to, first to score 11 wins. That would be pretty great to me. But That'd I, be all right, too. If you choose, if you got to choose between these two, I don't think there's a chance in hell they choose the Titans because it would be fun and interesting. <laughs> I just, I, I just do, imagine. That do we it, have a time frame of when they're going to make that decision, or is it possible that they're not going to change anything? Um, the, it, it's possible they choose nothing, um, but the proposals are in, and the competition committee is going to follow up on these next week. NFL operations says. All right, so we got a week. I guess we'll figure that out. What, I mean, it's not like we'll be paying attention to anything else in the sports world for the next week. You know, we'll just be locked in on whether or not there's going to be a rules change in overtime for football. But I don't know. I, I still feel like it, it, you can do what you want to do. Overtime's never going to be something that, that a, a substantial majority of people get behind and say they like it. And right. I just, what you said kind of resonates well with me is if, just give me what is, the, what is the rationale behind making the changes. If we just want to make sure we eliminate ties, or Which that's, that's, we have that's our best my shot, driving force. Then that'd be great with me. I just don't want ties anymore. And I guess I, I don't just, you said it, in 2022 we shouldn't have ties. I guess I if I had to have a leaning, it would lean that way. There I, should be I a winner. Feel, like If I paid $140 to come to your stupid game and $40 to park and I spent $9 on chicken tenders and $13 on a beer, I want to leave and somebody wanted, somebody lost and it mattered. Rather than at the end of the season, they go, well, they're 9-8. and eight. Well, but they're 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. How do we calculate the tie? I don't freaking know if somebody won or lost in week four. I would know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you at all there. So, again, I, I guess I'll just, as we've been talking here, I've kind of just settled on the idea that just give me an overtime that's, that sets up the, the le- least likely outcome of a tie that we can create, and I'll sign up. 
All right. Whatever the structure we'll get, looks we'll like, we'll I'll, on be, board I'll be on board for that. So we need to take another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. So looking forward to our next segment. When we come back after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, we are going to visit with ESPN college basketball analyst extraordinaire Jimmy Dykes. I think he's the best in the biz, and I can't believe we're going to have the chance to sit and talk NCAA tournament and other things with Jimmy Dykes. But we're going to do so after this on Lima Sports Radio, 93 One The Fan. Welcome back inside the Basement Doctor Studio. Cookie and the Monster with you here on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. I am John Cook. My partner is Garrett Seawright. We appreciate you joining us. And we are incredibly excited to get to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline to start this segment with a visit with, simply put, the guy that I think is the best college basketball analyst in the business today, ESPN's Jimmy Dykes, joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Jimmy Dykes, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I think it's my first time to be on a radio station out of Lima, Ohio. So this is good for me. Well, it's good for us, too. It's great to get guys that have the background that you have. I am a longtime fan. I, I got your book, and actually, you sent me a signed copy. I appreciate that. Uh, we could spend a whole segment on the book. We won't do that, but we could. But I want to get into the NCAA tournament in just a second. But before I do that, for any of our listeners who might not be that familiar with you and your background, you're a basically a basketball lifer that's that's turned that passion into a great career behind a microphone. Talk a little bit about your background in coaching and what led you ultimately to uh, the broadcasting side of things. Yeah, I was fortunate to play college basketball for Hall of Fame coach Eddie Sutton at Arkansas, and that kind of springboard me into a coaching career with him as an assistant coach at Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma State. I scouted in the NBA for a couple of years before I started getting into TV, so I think I just finished my 24th year with ESPN. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm all over the country in non-conference play, and then the bulk of my work during conference time is in the Southeastern Conference. So just got home from Tampa on Sunday night after doing the SEC Finals, and like everybody else, uh, getting ready for this tournament to really crank up in full force tomorrow. And already had some games last night, a couple tonight, but it's a great time of the year, and uh, it's it's one that we always always look forward to. There's always stories that come out. There's always heroes that rise up and big shots made, and that's what makes this next three weeks or so, I think, the most spectacular time in, in, in college sports. You're an SEC guy by nature, and, and, and that's where you spend a lot of your time, but as an analyst, you get to see virtually everybody in the country. When you start to shape up or, or plan to maybe break down a bracket and, and, and make the selections that you make, do you feel like that that your SEC bias is something you have to guard against at all, or are you a guy that does is able to keep up with the with the country as a whole during the course of the season? Yeah, I, I, I try to keep up with it. It's, that's kind of the demand of the job at where we are with ESPN these days. And um, I've covered the, I think I've covered the SEC for probably the last 10 or 12 years I've been with ESPN. I've taken pride in not being the guy that says this league deserves eight bids when it only needs four. Like, I've never been that guy. I haven't right. been a fake cheerleader because I don't think that helps the league or me either one. But this year, that league has legitimately been the best the best in the country. I mean, there's four teams coming out of that thing right now, Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn, and Arkansas, that could get to the Final Four. That's as strong as it's ever been. I didn't even mention Alabama who's one of the teams that beat Gonzaga earlier this year, and they've beaten Baylor, and, and they've beaten Houston, and they finished fifth or sixth in this league. So all that said is they had, that league had a tremendous regular season, and it means absolutely nothing now. 
because this tournament always is unforgiving. If you don't show up with your best effort and your best game, you might get by with it as a one seed versus a 16. But from that point on, if you're not playing your best, you're not going to advance. And that's that's the beauty of this tournament. So I don't have bias in it. I, I had to do my four picks for ESPN.com to make it to the Final Four. Two of them are out of the SEC this year. Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Gonzaga, and Iowa. But I think last year my picks didn't have one SEC team. So I try to see it through neutral eyes the best I can. So when you when you look at the brackets, I mean, as a whole, it's 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 a daunting task to try and evaluate every bracket. Do you feel like one of the four regions over the other three is is clearly identifiable as the toughest region? I don't. I, I really don't. The, the toughest region is the one that you're in, and the, the toughest weekend is the one that you're in. It's so incredibly hard just to win one game in this tournament. And I, I, I tend to look at who won their conference tournament because I think the last 11 Final Fours we've had, we've had at least one conference tournament champion advance there, and sometimes we've had multiples. So that's why I like Gonzaga, champions out of the WCC. I like Iowa. I like Tennessee. Uh, and I, I just took Kentucky because I think Baylor, with their injuries, is going to be a little vulnerable on that side. But I can make a case for uh, Purdue, UCLA as well out of that East Regional. So, But there have been some trends. If you go back and just really study the Final Four and national champions, there have been some trends in terms of what the numbers say you need to be, offensive and defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Uh, how'd you do in your conference tournament? Uh, did you win a regular season, in-season tournament like like Maui or Battle for Atlantis or preseason NIT? I believe 10 out of the last 11 national champions won a tournament like that. Uh, so that, that, that bids well for teams that did it this year. Jimmy Dykes joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. And, and Jimmy, you, you, you don't have Auburn in your – in your final four, and we don't know how deep into your bracket they go, but about five weeks ago, you could have made a very real case that they were the best team in the country, almost bar none, and now I don't think it's definitely that cut and dry. What happened or has happened with them, and how should we perceive the Tigers as we go into the tournament? Yeah, they've been a completely different team on the on the road and on neutral floors, and that's, that's tied to their guard play because they have potentially the number one player in the draft and Jabari Smith at their at their forward spot and, and Walker Kessler is a first round draft pick right now. Seven one kid who's probably gonna win some national defensive player of the year awards. Uh, so it's those three perimeter spots that have been inconsistent to the point that I didn't take them to my final four and I thought four weeks ago they were playing as well like you said as anybody in the country, but this tournament's not played in Auburn, Alabama at the in the jungle. It's and it's on neutral floors. And they struggled late in SEC play on the road. They struggled certainly uh, in Tampa last week. They got knocked out in their first game. And there's a there's another common thread: no national champion since I believe 1985 uh, was knocked out in the quarterfinals of their conference tournament. And that's exactly when Auburn got exited. So they're not they're not playing well at the, at the wrong time of the year is a problem. And their guard play has major question marks uh, heading into this tournament. Jimmy, where do you fall on the side of the uh, the scale with 
teams that come into the tournament really hot versus those that come in maybe in a situation like Auburn's in? Is, is the tournament a chance to reset the clock and start new and kind of get refocused? Or is it do teams that come in on a roll like, say, Iowa is on, do they have a decided advantage? I, I want teams that are hot, you know. I mean, I know UCLA went from the first four to the final four last year, and that they weren't playing great down the stretch. But traditionally, you want teams that, like I said, we either won their conference tournament or at least got to the finals and lost. It's hard to reset yourself with a three or four day, you know, grace period in between your tournament and the NCAA. It's just really hard to reset yourself. Uh, so. You know, to your point about Auburn in 2019, they went to the Final Four. They finished fifth in the SEC that year, but they got hot at the right time. They won, they won their last 12 games of the season before they lost in the Final Four to Virginia. So you want teams right now that come in on a, you know, four or five game winning streak. They're healthy. Uh, all those things factor in. I just saw before I got on the phone with you that San Francisco, one of their best players, and maybe the leading rebounder on the inside is. Is, is out, hurt his knee. So you got to, the three H's, you got to be hot, you got to be healthy, you got to be hungry, driven, still wanting to play all those things. And I look at the bracket right now and I see teams that, that kind of fit the description of coming in a little bit hot. One of the teams that jumps out at me that way is Virginia Tech. I mean, what they did in the ACC tournament was incredibly impressive and maybe a little bit unexpected, I think. Uh, had some real ups and downs to their season, but when you look at their road to get there, they're going to have to play a Texas team in the opener that's incredibly tough, potentially match up with Purdue, who who I think at times earlier in the year would have been, conce- I guess, conceived or perceived to be the best team in America for a stretch. Uh, that's in that bracket that you talked about with Kentucky, UCLA. An incredible challenge to get out of that East region, but a team like Virginia Tech, how do you kind of handicap them based on what you saw out of them this year? Well, they had to win the ACC to get in, so they, they had their issues in regular season play. I didn't watch them enough to know what that is. I just know that whatever your fatal flaw was in the regular season is going to be your fatal flaw in the tournament. If that's lack of defense, lack of defensive rebounding, you you can't stay in front of a fast point guard, whatever your issue has been all year, it's not going to change now. It's, it's what's going to get you beat and sent home. So you know, you'd have to really dive in deep to Virginia Tech, but you know they when, the, when I watched them this weekend, this past weekend, I watched the entire game, I think, against Duke for my hotel room, and offensively, they're, they're a real problem. The way they move the ball and the way they shoot the ball, that gives you a fighter's chance going in, but for some reason, they're an 11 seed, so I'd have to kind of dig in and find out what that is, because the ACC was not a strong conference at all this year. It just wasn't. It was, it was Duke and, and, and everybody else we saw what's happened to Duke down the stretch. They lost, you know, two of the last four ball games or whatever it is. That's I'm 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 not on the bandwagon to Duke right now either because of that reason. So uh find those hot teams, find those teams that looked really good in their last tournament that have that have a ton of confidence and just hope luck's on your side because at the end of the day nothing makes sense. It's always it's always a roll of the dice. And you mentioned your final four of Tennessee, Kentucky Gonzaga and Iowa, I mean, that's your four. How do you see that playing out, and who's your national champion? I think I would take Tennessee just because I, I, they don't have any glaring weakness. I mean, their guard play, two, two true freshmen play heavy minutes. Sometimes it's hard to win six games in a row with freshman point guards, but those two kids are really talented, and they're really mature and tough kids for their age. Um, but, you know, 
Keegan Murray's good enough for Iowa to win the whole thing offensively. They're a real problem for anybody they play against. They they can hit a hundred on anyone in this tournament. And Gonzaga, I, I I like Gonzaga. I like him a lot, but I watch him play in their conference tournament. I watch a couple of games in that league. I just I I'm concerned about do they really have the defensive grit and toughness and moxie about them that's going to take to win six games in a row. I I didn't see it in their tournament from them. Maybe they can flip the switch and show me defensively. They got the chops to get it done, but that would be my question mark about them. Well, it's going to be a remarkable tournament. The one thing that we, I think we can say every year is the NCAA tournament generally always delivers. It doesn't ever disappoint, at least not from a, from a broad perspective. It might disappoint specific fans of specific teams. I wanted to t- touch base with you before we let you get off here. I, I do know that many of our listeners may be aware, and some may not, that you, uh, within the last couple of years, published a book, The Film Doesn't Lie. And I uh, wanted to give you a chance to talk about that book, kind of the origins of it, and if anybody would be interested in picking that book up, where they can do so. Yeah, I, I think it was released It was released two years ago, right before the pandemic hit. And it's resonated with a lot of people all across the country because it really challenges the reader to kind of pause and get real with himself, evaluate their life like coaches do a game film. And I think it, it ultimately draws people to more authentic deeper, more disciplined, uh, personal walk with God. And so I've had a lot of great feedback from it, how it's really challenged people and, you know, save, save people from going down wrong paths or, or made it, made them take a U-turn and just brought tremendous change into their life. Cause it, I, I cover nine or 10 different areas. I think we all really struggle with or could struggle with if we don't take the time to get on top of it. So, um, I, I they still sell all over the country, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, but I, I still sell a great deal of them off of a website, CoachJimmyDykes.com, and they bring those orders to me about once a week, and I sign a personal note to it to those people that buy them off that website. So, if you're interested in, in that, you can go to CoachJimmyDykes.com and order there, or you can just you know get it like everybody does every other book. But I, I appreciate you bringing it up, and I know God's used that book in, in a major way in a lot of people's lives over the last couple of years. I'm very thankful for that. Well, I was really blessed during the pandemic to discover the book. It was published just before the the pandemic started, and when we were all at home a lot more, I got my hands on a copy of the book through your website, did get a a personalized signed copy. want to thank you for that, and thank you for taking the time to write the book. It's ESPN College Basketball Analyst Jimmy Dykes. Join us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Uh, the next two to three weeks is going to be just as busy for, for you as it, as it is every year. But for us, those of us who, who spend almost all of our time as fans, we're just going to enjoy the process. We appreciate you taking the time to join us here all the way up here in Lima, Ohio, when you've got so many other things that you can do. We appreciate it and hope that the tournament goes well. Hope that you enjoy uh, your time and look forward to hopefully maybe one day getting to, to do this again. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the tournament. Thanks so much. Take care. Jimmy Dykes. ESPN College Basketball Analyst joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Uh, Garrett, he's the best, man. He's he's the yeah. best guy going on TV right now. And uh, when you look at his background in coaching, it's it's one of those things that I can kind of relate to because he was a head coach at the University of Arkansas from 2014 to 2017, did not have a remarkable amount of success, particularly at the right. end of his three-year stint there. But he's a lifer as an assistant, as a scout. He's been an assistant at several Division I uh, institutions, including Arkansas and Kentucky. Um but he's turned it into this quarter-century-long career doing something that I don't. It's 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 like a lot of things we talk about. I don't know what makes a good analyst, but I know one when I see one, and he is. 
I, I'm going to agree. I think he's the best of the game. And you learn something. He's He doesn't sugarcoat anything, but he's also fair and I, I think pretty balanced. I, I enjoy him, and I, I enjoyed him right there, too. And if you are interested in the book, it's The Film Doesn't Lie, Evaluating Your Life One Play at a Time. Uh, go to CoachJimmyDykes.com. You can directly order from that website. Thanks so much again to Jimmy for joining us. We're going to take another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it'll be time to wrap up our poll results and get to water cooler conversation. John Cook and Garrett Seawright, Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Back inside the basement, Dr. Studio, one final time. Garrett, let's get to those poll results. We asked, will Baker Mayfield be the starting quarterback of the Browns in 2022? 77% say no. We asked, what seed do you have winning the national championship? 75% say a one or a two. And we asked, whose bracket are you more likely to copy John Cook or Garrett C. Right, 83% say Cookie. Well, if I remember right, according to Garrett, his final four is Duke, Kentucky, Illinois, and Kansas, correct? That is correct. That is your final four. My final four is Gonzaga, UCLA, Arizona, and Wisconsin. We don't agree on a single team in the final four. So let's talk... Final four winners and national championship competitors, and who's the national champion? So, on your on on the left side of the bracket, as it were, Duke and Kentucky for you. Yes, sir. I got the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky Wildcats advancing. I've got Gonzaga, UCLA, and I've got Gonzaga advancing. The other side of the bracket for you is Illinois and Kansas. I've got Illinois beating Kansas. Illinois over Kansas. So your national title game is going to be Kentucky against Illinois. Yes, sir. My national title game is going to be Gonzaga versus Arizona. I got the Kansas or I got the Kentucky Wildcats. You got Kentucky Wildcats as your national champion. champion. Okay. Well, I did not have that line filled in on my bracket until right before we came back from break, and I have sat here and stared at it and sat here and stared at it, and I just if I said Arizona could make the national title game, even though I had some concerns about their health, at some point that's got to stand up and mean something. I've got Gonzaga winning the national title. This will be the second year in a row I've picked Gonzaga to win the national title. You and I have had off-air conversations and some on-air conversations where you basically say about Gonzaga, I, I can't trust him until they prove me wrong. There I, I, and there's a better way to... I like my analogy better, but I can't say that on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just I can't trust him until they do it. Until they win and make me go, oh, it's a look at that. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. You've been burned too many times. And the funny part of it is, Gonzaga, over the course of our lifetime as sports fans, and really for me, over the the course of the last 25 years of my life as a sports fan, Gonzaga has gone from that team that burst on the scene with some tournament upsets, Mm -hmm. who were the you know, low major conference right. representative that came in and scared everybody to death to somehow that program has become considered almost a blue blood, and they are more often than not a favorite to be a one seed, as often as not a favorite to get to the final four, and as often as they may have been favored to win a national title, they've played in one national title game, they don't have a national championship I'm going to say 2022 is the year. Gonzaga breaks through, they knock off Arizona on Monday, April 4th that should cause many of you to run out and bet on anyone else to win the national title. So Garrett says Kentucky. I say Gonzaga. The next time you hear our voices or have the opportunity to, it will be at 10.45 a.m. on Friday. We'll be at UD Arena bringing you the Division Three state semifinal between the Ottawa Glandorf Titans and the Afrocentric Nubians. And we look forward to talking to you then. Have a great, great sports night. And thanks so much to Jimmy Dykes of ESPN for joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. It's been a great week. We will talk to you again from UD Arena or next Monday, however you choose. John Cook, Garrett C. Wright, Cooking the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan.